Hi everyone, this is Mick Daniel from San Luis Valley Great Outdoors for episode number seven of our GoCast. Today we have Ron Garcia. Yeah, I'm Ron Garcia. I work for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as the refuge manager on the Baca National Wildlife Refuge. Awesome. Thank you, Ron. Patrick? This is Patrick Ortiz. I'm the community engagement coordinator for SLV Go. And I'm Tierra Garania, and I'm the development coordinator and AmeriCorps VISTA for SLV Go. Great. We're excited that you're able to join us today, Ron. So are you from the San Luis Valley? I am. I am a, a Valley native. I grew up on the Canales River west of Antonito. Oh, no way. Is that like Fox Creek area or? Mogote. Mogote. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Tell us about growing up on the Mogote then. Oh, man. You know what? We, my parents had a place right on the Canales River, a small place, and that was our playground. The, the Canales River, I've got two brothers, that was our playground. And it wasn't until I left for college and made friends from outside of the area that I realized that not every kid had a river as their backyard. That made me feel really fortunate. Yeah, I can't. And the Canales is such a beautiful river, too. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a wonderful childhood. We were right at the mouth of the canyon there in Magode. And so we had access to BLM forest lands nearby. And man, we took advantage of it. That's awesome. So you grew up hunting and fishing then? We did. My dad worked in the mines, but he enjoyed his time at home with us and, and had us in the mountains all the time. And so I that, no, really, I thought every kid had that until I left the place. So were you in high school in Antonito? I did. Went to high school and to all the grades in, in Antonito. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. So when we think about like growing up outside and growing up here in the San Luis Valley, did you have any like real highlight moments for you in the outdoors that maybe affected your choice of work today and maybe even your outlook? You know, I, I really did. Like I say, my, my dad had us out on public lands in that area since we were small. And we were out so much that we had regular interactions with the agency employees. You know, we were talking with the game warden quite a bit. We were talking with the forest folks quite a bit. And I knew at an early age, particularly with our interactions with the game warden, that, man, that is something I want to do, to be able to be up in these areas and make a career out of it. I knew way back then that that's what I wanted to do. And when I was in high school, I think it was in the ninth grade, I had a biology teacher who spent his summers working as a uh, YACC or the Forest Service on a trail crew. And every Friday, he would put on slideshows for us of his summer work. And that was a real big turning point for me. That, that's when I really realized that I wanted to have some sort of a career in natural resources. And, and that was the line I took since then. So you said you went off to college. Where did you go to school at? I went here to Adams State. 
the time. I don't know if you know Hobie Dixon, but Hobie Dixon had a, a really good, uh, he's a botanist, but an ecology-based curriculum that I really enjoyed and toyed with going to Colorado State because they've got good natural resource program there too. But Hobie Dixon sold me here in the Valley and, and I went to Adam State. No, I do know Hobie pretty well. He was my neighbor for a number of years. And one of the Valley personalities that came in and introduced himself to me when I first got to the San Luis Valley, he was still big into rafting at the time and would rent from us at adventure programs. Yeah, Hobie's been a, a big influence of mine. Yeah, super good guy. We also did some work kind of just off of where he lives there on uh, oh, San Juan, right? Just in what we called the wilderness area there in Alamosa behind his house. So Right. Yeah, kind of just trying to maintain some of the trails that were there anyway. But good people, good. for sure. Yeah, no, I, I like Kobe. So when we think about your dad and your mom, you said your dad worked in the mines. Was that like the Red Rock mines down south, or were there other mining operations going on in that area? So it's the uh, the perlite mines that are near the Red Rock mines. Okay. So, you know, that uh, Noawa area there, he spent a career working in those mines as a welder and um, mechanic. Cool. And your mom? And my mom was uh, retired as a, spent her career as a school teacher in Antonito. Oh, okay. Very cool. So you have really deep roots in Antonito then. Really do. I mean, tied to some of the early Conales County families. So you're multi-generational Valley native. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the very first settlers of the valley were my ancestors. That's awesome. I've always wanted to spend more time in the Conejos Canyon. I've, of course, been up to the Forest Service sites and been into the wilderness there up by, is it Duck Lakes? And up on the Divide, kind of Neff Mountain and the Neff Mountain Yurt. But I always felt like there was way more to see and explore, like just out in Bogote there. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those areas. It's like just, it's kind of like the sand dunes in some ways. Like you definitely got to make a trip to get there. Yeah, right. One of my favorite hikes actually is up to Red Lake, which is, you know, just there west of Magote and past the turnoff to Platoro. And getting up to that area of the South San Juan wilderness, you get to see all the way to Creed, really, plus really the whole valley and the Sangres. And yeah, that's just one of my greatest views. Like you come out of the forest and then all of a sudden you're on tundra and you just have this panoramic view. So that's some of my favorite country here, really in Colorado, if not the whole nation. And it's nice to know that all of that is a lot of wilderness, like the majority of it is wilderness. So that's always nice to know. (laughs) Exactly. You know, Patrick, that description that you just gave of that getting out of the tree line at Red Lake, that's what I consider home. (laughs) Yeah. That really is. You know, when we were kids, that's where when the Forest Service would bring sheep on, they'd bring them up there first, and then they'd take them all the way back toward Plateau and back. And, and my dad, at the beginning at this time of the year, whenever the sheep came on every year, right where we grew up, there was a, a fly fishing shop. And my dad would go this time of year and he'd buy just a cheap Zebco rod reel combo for like 10 bucks or something. And we'd go up there and we'd uh, meet up with the sheep herder and my dad would give it to him or whoever it was and and then tell him, okay, we're going to check in with you throughout the summer and you're going to tell us where the fishing's good. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And so that was our summer plan is, you know, we'd we'd go hook up with the sheep herder and, and he'd tell us where 
where he's seen her catching fish. So. She was doing recon for you guys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That seems like a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, I know it was. Yeah, That's awesome. You were just talking about up above Red Lake, and, and that's definitely one of our questions right now. If you had a favorite place in the valley and you're going to share that with us, what would that be? Oh, man. You know, it, it's broadened. Of course, my favorite place in the valley is Magote, and that'll always be home. And, and our place on the river by far is my favorite place in the world. But the South San Juan wilderness, that is a favorite but, you know, over time, I've grown a, a really fondness for the Wiminooch. And now that I've been at the Baca Refuge for the Sangre de Cristos and wilderness and exploring in those areas. And so if I had to narrow it to one, it's Magote. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Have you read Ghost Grizzly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's a great book. <laughs> yes. It really piqued my interest about the South San Juan wilderness for sure. Right. You know, you know, when that last grizzly was killed, it was in an area that we frequented a lot. Yeah, we spent a lot of time in that Blue Lake, Upper Navajo River Basin up in there. It's really neat. And so I remember when that happened, I think it was in 1979, I remember the commotion and everything that surrounding that. You know, when they were trying to pull that bear out, they wrecked a helicopter. And I remember that even going by on a trailer and really interesting yeah no i had no idea that there was a helicopter crash associated with that that's crazy yeah they they were doing something it was one of those little ones and they, and they dropped it nobody got hurt or anything but it was just kind of a big deal in, in the neighborhood yeah i bet so man that adds a bit of epicness to that story <laughs> <laughs> well and ron i don't know if you've heard the latest or not but I remember reading Grizzly Attack in Colorado, which was kind of Ed Wiseman's story, a different book, I think. And, you know, I remember one piece in it talking about, was it conclusive or not that this female grizzly had cubs or not? And I never knew, like, if that was ever concluded or if that was still kind of a question is, is if that happened or not. Right, right. Same, same here, you know, and it's just, you wish and hope. And, you know, I, I still go up there to that area and others around there. And it's like, one of these days, I just, I want to see a grizzly there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not too close, but. <laughs> yeah, no, that would be awesome. You think grizzlies still exist? I don't know. You know, my brother works for the Forest Service and I'm always asking him and, and I don't know. He feels like if there were still any left, there would be more evidence. Somebody would have seen some kind of sign by now. Right. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I remember from the book Ghost Grizzly, they were talking about how black bear, with, with the lack of grizzly in the area, black bear would take on ecological traits that would normally be reserved for the grizzly, the higher apex predator. Right, right. Yeah. So I think like some of the reports we get sometimes, especially the, the signs, you know, the overturned rocks and things like that are probably just black bear being opportunist. Agreed. Yeah. What's the big ranch that's on the other side of the South San Juan wilderness? On the other side, there's several big ranches. There's like the Bandit Peak and several others. A lot of that land was that Tierra Maria land grant land that ended up or stayed yeah. in private hands. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, that sounds like There's a really a, extraordinary section of private land to you. Yeah, Bandit Peak, Oso Pardo, you know, some pretty big, incredible ranches on that side. Yeah, very cool. So I know you get to travel some with the feds around the country. And so you meet someone that's never been to the San Luis Valley and you had one story you could tell them to really sell them on this place. What's that story? 
You know, I was thinking about that, and I think that it is, I would tell them that this is a recent ancient land. And, and what I mean there is, is when you think about European settlement, even in the Southwest, the San Luis Valley is so recent, only being settled in the middle 1800s. But you go down the road just 80 miles to Taos and there'd been Europeans in Taos since the 1600s. And so I feel like the San Luis Valley is a little bit still of a well-kept secret. And as you were saying earlier, Mick, there's just so much to explore here. Yeah, it's amazing. That's interesting, a recent ancient settlement. I like that. I like how you put the time frame there too, Ron, of 200 years, like before, you know, really Europeans decided to settle in the San Luis Valley permanently, while Taos, you know, heavy Spanish influence for 200 years before that. That kind of puts things in perspective of that 200 year gap. Right. You know, and I think that says something about the San Luis Valley, that the native peoples who used it, protected it, guarded it so well that it wasn't able to be settled until there was the potential for military to protect against that. Right. That says something about a place. Yeah, absolutely. I hadn't thought about it that way. So I moved here in 2003, but it has been, it's just been recent that, you know, I learned a lot about like the DeVargas Crossing and even Pike's Stockade. And, and it's until you stand on that place and you look at that land and that terrain, it's really difficult to understand the complexities of how they got into the valley, you know? Right. You know, and I know DeVargas was running from the Taos Pueblo, right? The natives there, is that correct? I believe so. Yeah, because he had raided their Pueblos. I believe that's right anyway. And for some reason ran north. <laughs> you know, but I think it's those instances that really brought the Spanish or European knowledge to the valley or knowledge about the valley, I guess I'd say. Right, now, yeah. So you're well settled into a career with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, but um, what are things that interest you in the future in your current career path? You know, I, I have been extremely fortunate to I'm going on 32 years with Fish and Wildlife Service in wildlife management, and I am extremely fortunate to have been able to spend a career contributing to the natural resources. And I've been thinking a lot about the next steps because that's coming closer for me or that time period is coming closer. And I would like to continue to contribute, but maybe in a different way. And I haven't really thought more about that, but I want to stay involved somehow and not necessarily with natural resources, but with people and the valley for sure. Yeah, it's a special place in that way. I mean, that's why I came back. <laughs> I wanted Me to too. Find a way to still be involved here for sure. The older I get, the more I appreciate the place and the people. I wish I'd have had the appreciation I have now when I was a lot younger. Well, I think that's probably something that only comes with age and being here. Yeah, yeah. And seeing other places and having that comparison, you know, for me personally, that exactly. really kind of made me exactly. appreciate the Valley a lot more and want to come back here and contribute to the communities here to enhance them however I can, getting more people outside or however it may be. So we get into a couple of fun questions now, Ron. We're always curious. So many of our partners are obviously outdoor people, have outdoor careers. And so we like to ask, what's your favorite non-outdoor pastime? Man, I, I, I always feel like I have too many hobbies, but I'm starting to recently learning how to cook for real, so to speak. And so one of the things I like doing now is, is uh, finding some 
recipes and building some kind of creation in the kitchen, you know. And Kathy, she's my guinea pig on a lot of this. And so, you know, I always look at her and is it a thumbs up, thumbs down, or what is it? That's awesome. That's awesome. It's funny. Like, uh, I think in, in the times of COVID, a lot of people have found cooking again, you know, but I imagine being living in the Crestone area that cooking's got to be a big part of your life. <laughs> it really is, you know, and now with the COVID thing, I was telling somebody the other day, I've been able to reach pretty deep into a freezer that, that's got game meat, you know, some of it a little older, but we're making it work. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. At this point, then what's your favorite meal to cook? Oh man, you know, I've spent half my adult life trying to make red chili the way my mother made. And she shared the recipe with me, but I am 90% sure that she leaves out or she left out a key ingredient just so that it would never be the same. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> she had to patent it, in other words. <laughs> exactly. She couldn't give me everything. So. <laughs> People add things sometimes that they don't even think about and it doesn't make the recipe. Exactly. And of course, my mother, like a lot of the people of that age, she didn't measure in teaspoons and cups. You know, it was all eyeballed. And so um, that's probably where it was lost. But, <laughs> but that's, what I, that's my favorite is trying to recreate some of the meals that I ate from my grandmother and my mother growing up. And they'll never be there. Yeah, that's awesome, Ron. <laughs> hey, I, I expect an invite for some red chili soon, though. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> so this is our last and final question. And it's a question we ask everybody. But since we're kind of, you know, here living in the mysterious San Luis Valley, and you in particular are living in a more mysterious part than some areas of the valley, have you had any supernatural experiences in the San Luis Valley? Well, I think they're all supernatural. <laughs> but for a while there, I spent probably six years plus living on the Monte Vista Refuge and there was nothing but darkness between the house that I lived in and Greeny Mountain outside of Monte Vista. And there were always weird things going on around Greeny Mountain. And I, I'm not sure I'm answering that. Is that what you mean by supernatural or? That's exactly. Or, or kind of, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there were there were times when, when um, there was more lights in the sky than you thought should be there. <laughs> That's interesting because I think I've heard that about Greeny Mountain from other people. You know, there was one particular time where one of my brothers lives just outside of, of Alamosa to the west. And he called me and, and he said, you need to look out your window. Something's going on up there. And I did. And there was a lot of lights in the sky there. And, and I went outside with my binoculars and my neighbor was already standing outside. And this was about 10 o'clock at night. So he was in his robe. <laughs> This was I, but it was just a bizarre sight to see all those lights in the sky. So were they making noises or anything, or was it just... Completely silent. That was the thing, is that there was a lot of lights, but there was no noise. And then after a little while, and it was a little while as in minutes, not seconds, the lights disappeared to the west, and then there was a lot of noise. There was a lot of military airplanes, basically, flying around in a wide circles around the area. 
yeah, that stuck with me. Still don't know what it was. I, I just assumed it was some kind of government experiment, but I don't know. It was weird. That is a little creepy. <laughs> I think I remember maybe even in the mysterious San Luis Valley book, people talking about an incident about that. So maybe, yeah, maybe that was the same one. What year was that? Had to be maybe mid nineties, early okay. mid nineties. Wow. I had another thing happen. I was coming over La Vida Pass at like four in the morning, coming into the valley and looking off to the south, I saw this, it was kind of in the sky, but it was like a squiggly, almost like a squiggly fireball that was just going down to the earth. And from from where I was at, it looked like it was somewhere around San Luis. And it really was, it wasn't a falling or shooting star because it was like, it was circling on its way down. And it was bizarre. I, I, I swear that I had just seen a plane fall out of the air. And of course, I, I went to work that day and nobody believed me. But that evening in the news, that very thing that I saw was in the news. And it was actually a missile over White Sands. But to me, it looked like it was over San Luis. <laughs> oh, wow. Huh. Jeez. I guess if you were coming down Levada Pass, you'd be looking toward White Sands, huh? Right, right. Further yeah. evidence that the Earth isn't flat. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but it was just bizarre. I really thought I had saw a plane fall out of the sky. Wow, that's super cool, too. That's one of those things that's like once in a lifetime. Yeah, it really is. I, yeah, to be able to see that. And then, at, you know, randomly at like 4.30 in the morning. Right. Yep. Well, awesome, Ron. Thank you so much for joining us today. We were really excited to have the chance to interview you and talk through some of this. Both those experiences go down as unique for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have some research to do based on your descriptions. (laughs) But no, we really appreciate having you on. Thanks everyone for tuning in for the seventh episode of the GoCast. And we'll be joining again in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, John. We really appreciate you guys.